Well, we'll continue in our series this morning, Getting Through the Tough Stuff. And uh, I've heard a lot of people talking about the messages the last few weeks that they've been encouraging and uh, giving you a lot to chew on and several things to think about. But we're going to continue in our series this morning, Getting Through the Tough Stuff. And the subject that we're going to deal with this morning is forgiving others. Forgiving others. Probably one of the toughest things to do in life is to practice biblical forgiveness. I have found it's tough to forgive sometimes. Maybe you have as well. It's tough to forgive when someone has stolen from you. Kind of irritates you, right? You work for hard for something, you put your time and energy in it, you purchase it, and then somebody takes it. And then you find out they have it and they're willing to sheepishly give it back because they've been caught. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And you really don't want to forgive them because they're jerks. Or when someone has taken the life of someone you love. I think we all know somebody who was killed in an accident or somebody who knew somebody who was hit by a drunk driver and ushered into eternity too prematurely, we might think. And they want to quickly say, I'm sorry, and your forgiveness right off the bat. Or when someone has lied or continues to lie about you, and you confront them and they sheepishly say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? You really don't want to. Or when someone has raped or molested you or someone you love. How many of us have seen circumstances where someone has been caught or they've been tried and found guilty, and you just want to go out there and you want to get vengeance? How about us as a father? How about somebody as an older brother? Somebody who loves someone who's been raped or molested? And they just kind of want to pretend it didn't happen. It's not that big a deal. And yet you're supposed to forgive them. Not the easiest thing to do. Or when someone has repeatedly offended you and repeatedly asked you for forgiveness, or they never ask you for forgiveness on the other side of the coin, or, or just think it's not that big a deal. And God has challenged you to forgive them. When someone doesn't believe that they've done anything offensive to begin with. Or when someone has had an affair against you or someone in your family. How easy is it to forgive? I don't know about you, but those are some tough circumstances that God calls us to be people of forgiveness in. They're some of the toughest things to forgive. Today I want to offer a simply a straightforward message on forgiveness. And if we're honest with ourselves today, some of us don't want to forgive those who have offended us. Some of you are just mad. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to see them. I just don't want to deal with it. And God is calling you to forgive. In fact, some of you would rather retaliate or avenge our circumstance. After all, we didn't deserve that. And you want to get even. Or if someone says, I don't ever get even, I get ahead. And you want to take matters into your own hands because that's what we do as men, right? Maybe some of you do it as women in your own way. But we want to get even and get ahead and we want to deal with the circumstances the way we want to deal with them. Not offer forgiveness. Others of you, well, you pretend the circumstances never happened. 
You want to bury this situation so deep in the back parts of your mind and you pray to God, nobody says anything that triggers that offense and brings it and makes it fresh in your mind again. And yet it doesn't go away because you've never forgiven. Here's the problem. If we respond in the flesh in any way, God will not be pleased. He'll not be pleased. So let's see what the Word of God tells us from His Word. So why should we practice biblical forgiveness? In Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, it says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Wait a minute. He puts that word must in there. I don't like that word. Because that means it mandatory. It makes it something that I have to do. And I really don't want to do that. Because quite honestly, they just irritate me. And that kind of goes back into what I said in the introduction. When someone comes to you and they've repeatedly offended you and repeatedly asked you forgiveness and then repeatedly come back and offend you again and repeatedly ask you forgiveness and you think, man, they're just hypocrites. They say it and then they do it again. Then they say it and then they do it again. That's the very principle found in Luke chapter 17. So if he sins against you seven times in a day, you must forgive him. And how many times is that? Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22 says, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Lord, if I just do it seven times, am I done? Do I not have to keep offering forgiveness after the seventh time? I mean, after all, he's a repeat offender. He's going to keep doing it. I know his attitude. I know his mindset. He's not going to change. So seven times I'm done, right? And Jesus replied, but 70 times 7. What's the principle? So there's a given number of times that we forgive others? No. You continuously forgive because that's what Jesus Christ does. That's what he's done for every one of us in this room. He has repeatedly forgiven our repeated offenses and sins against him. In fact, in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you a wrongdoing. So in other words, if somebody has offended me, I'm supposed to wait for them to come to me and make it all right. Right? Um, no. Because some of us, if we wait for that other person who we have an offense against, if we wait for them to for the perfect time to come and make it right with you, you're going to be waiting for an eternity and never get it dealt with. So in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, he says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone else, well, what? they haven't acknowledged that they've done anything wrong. And your point with this scripture is what? Well, they have some responsibility in this. I mean, they, did, they, they, they should want to make it right. Well, there's a lot of people who don't want to make a lot of things right. And that's why God's Word says, if you have anything against somebody, you better forgive them. And He says, forgive him so that your Father in Heaven will also forgive your wrongdoing. So can we kind of just twist that verse around just a little bit and kind of read it reverse? If you don't forgive, He's not going to forgive you. 
Oh, wait a minute. God's Word says that, right? We're going to see that in just a minute. We are to be people who forgive even when people don't ask for it. You know what I found out in life is that all of us are offended one point or another, right? All of us have people who've done something against us. They said something, they did something, they lied, whatever the circumstance may be. And you're waiting for them because you know the truth has already been made clear. You, were, you didn't do what you were accused of. They said that you know, what you said you did wasn't true. And yet God's word says you're to forgive them, but you're waiting for them to come and make it right. And you're going to be waiting in eternity. And here's what I found. They've moved on. And it's still taking space in your brain until you deal with it. We have to make sure that we don't allow it to take space in our brain, so to speak. Well, sometimes in these circumstances, we kind of have a different mindset. Well, what if somebody does something, and God's Word says I'm to forgive them, so I guess if I have to forgive them, I will, but isn't that just condoning the offense? Well, no, it's not. So let's be clear about what it means to forgive. Forgiveness is not, number one, condoning the offense. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The Bible condemns calling good evil or evil good. So the bottom line is it's not just condoning what they've done. But you see, here's the difference. I can't control what another person does or says or feels or believes. All those things are outside of my control. In fact, I'm not responsible for them. But I am responsible for me. And the Bible condemns calling evil good. So we're not just condoning the offense and, oh, well, bless God, they just did this again and I'm just going to turn it over and, well, it just... No, it's not condoning the offense. It's letting God deal with them. God says, I'll take care of it. The question is, do you trust God to do it? You see, we live in a world and in a culture that says if somebody does something to me, I have the right to retaliate. I have the right to avenge. I have the right to justice. Really? That's our mindset, but I don't think it's a biblical principle. So we're not just condoning the offense, but we are standing in the right conscience and a clear heart before God. Number two, it's not sweeping the offense under the carpet as though it never took place. In fact, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, he says this in verses 9 through 13. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hethite with a sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now therefore the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hethite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says, I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes. He will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel in broad daylight. And David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin, and you will not die. You see, 
Forgiving someone is not sweeping the offense under the carpet as though it never took place. See, God did offer forgiveness to David for what he had done, but God did not remove the consequence. There's always a consequence for sin. Whether it's immediate or long term, there will always be consequence for sin. And God, even though he did offer David forgiveness, he did not remove the consequence. So we have to understand that forgiveness is right because it's biblical. So it's not sweeping the fence under the carpet as though it never took place. And then number three, it's not laying down so others continue to take advantage of you. Some people have the idea that, man, if I just forgive him every time he comes to me and every time he's going to keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it, well, the bottom line is just, it's like I'm just you know, laying down and letting others continue to trample on me. That's not what it is. And we see a principle of this in Psalm 37, verse 21. It says, The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. You see, there are people who will come to you, and let's just use the example of money, for instance. They'll come to you and say, hey, can I have X amount of dollars? And we give it to them. And then they'll come back and they'll say, hey, I need a little bit more, and we give it to them. And then they come back and, hey, can I borrow a little bit more? And you give it to them. And there comes a point where you say, wait a minute. There's a pattern here. The wicked person borrows and does not repay. That doesn't mean that I have to just, I can forgive them for not repaying. But it doesn't mean I guess going to keep on giving it to them. So there's a word of caution that we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 9. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry. For anger abides in the heart of fools. Make, can I just say this? Make sure that there's really an offense that you're getting bitter about. You see, in life, that there are times that we think, well, so-and-so has offended me. Is it really an offense? Sometimes you just don't like what they said. Nothing sinful or wrong about what they did or said. You just didn't like it. So you're going to get mad and all upset and angry and you're waiting for them to apologize for something that you're never going to hear once again. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Make sure there's really an offense to forgive. We were talking about this last week. There's two sides of this coin. We're to make sure that we're not being purposely offensive to someone, according to Romans. And there's always that one person who gets upset and angry about everything. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say, how you do it, how you say it. They're offended. There's always one. You have to understand that. There's always one. And so the whole gathering of people around them always caters and gives in to the one because they're offended. There's a flip side of that too. Because God's word also tells us, as great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So there's a side that says we need to be mature enough to understand one is truly an offense. That we're to forgive. So forgiveness is not just condoning the offense when you grant the forgiveness. It's not sweeping the offense under the carpet as though it never took place. Because the consequences will remain. And it's not laying down so others can continue to take advantage of you. It's exercising forgiveness with wisdom. So what is our motivation for forgiveness? I think it's twofold. Number one, Jesus commanded us to be people of forgiveness. And number two, he exemplified it. He exemplified it. So in Colossians chapter 3, if you look at these next several verses here, 
In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all mouths. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Here it is, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Sometimes we have the mindset that I'm just not going to forgive. I don't want to make it a big deal. I'm not going to harbor it. I'm not going to dwell on it, but I just don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to pretend it never happened. I just, I, 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 I'm not going to deal with it. Think back to your walk with Christ. Your current walk with Christ. How often does Jesus Christ, through his blood on Calvary, forgive you? How often? Just think about that in your mind. How fast do we sin? How about you? But for me, it's like nanoseconds. Somebody says something, I just immediately have an opinion, a thought that maybe not be right scriptural or biblical or even right. You're guilty too. How often do we do something wrong? And immediately our heart's wrong. And our attitude's wrong. Our mindset is wrong. Or maybe even our response is wrong. And you say, Lord, forgive me. How often does that happen in a given day? In a given hour? In a given block of time? 15 minutes segment? You see, we are people who are prone to sin. We are people who are prone to continuously offend. And yet Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on the cross of Calvary, continuously offers forgiveness. And can I say there's a word of caution with that as well? In fact, Romans asks us this question. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? What's he say? God forbid. May it never be so. Let not this be the case, he says. We're not to continue to go on and sin just because God's going to continuously forgive. That's abuse of grace. And I think that's true for us as people, too, when we offend others and we know we've offended them. Oh, well, it's just so-and-so. They'll get over it. That's abuse as well. So the bottom line is we need to be careful that we're walking with Jesus Christ in such a way that God will be glorified with all that is said and done in our lives concerning forgiveness. So he says, bearing with another and forgiving one another. It's a daily need. It's a daily thing that we have to confront in our walk with God, is forgiving those who offend us. And we're do it, we do do it because Jesus Christ has exemplified this in our own lives. Well, he goes on in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 25 and 26. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 25 and 26. It says, I, I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Remind me, let's argue the case together, recount the facts so that you may be vindicated. He says, I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake. And remember your sins no more. 
We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But Daniel chapter 9, verse 9, the example of God. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against Him. Is any of us not guilty of rebelling against God? Is any of us guilty, not guilty of an offense towards God? We're guilty. And yet He continuously forgives us. So what happens when we forgive others? In Matthew chapter 6, we find the principle here. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. So if we want our offenses towards God, who is holy and righteous and just, if we want our sins forgiven, we must forgive others. say, well, that's different. No, it's not. He expects us to forgive. And in doing so, He will forgive us our offenses. So the first benefit is that Jesus forgives us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. It says, We have forgiveness of sins through Jesus. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Once again, forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ shed blood on the cross. Say, so is, is forgiveness really that important? I mean, isn't it just a given He's going to forgive us? Is it really that important? It really is. It affects our entire walk with Jesus Christ. You say, well, isn't that a little bit strong? No, it's not. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So it's very important that I have a free, a sin account that is free before God. In other words, that I deal with sin as it happens in my life. So I need to confess my sins knowing that He'll forgive us, but if I don't, Bottom line is, there's going to be problems. And it's going to affect our prayer life. So there's a forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, gives us one more thing that happens when we forgive others. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, We have redemption through Jesus. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We experience the benefits of His grace. I don't know about you, but that, that's huge. That is huge. To be able to experience God's grace because of His forgiveness to us. We don't deserve it. But He offers it. In conclusion, I want to look at two passages here. And the first one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You're familiar with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. It says, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self seeking, it is not irritable, it does not keep a record of wrongs. Let me say that again, it does not keep a record of wrongs. And let me just say it one more time in case you didn't hear that. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, does not keep a record of wrongs. 
Wait, I think I repeated that a couple of times. But here's the problem. Somebody has offended us, and they say, you know what, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And we say, you're forgiven. But bless God, I'm going to hold on to this for the rest of my life. And if you so much as even come close to offending me again, I'm going to bring it up to remind you that you've done it before. Because that's godly and biblical, right? No. But I know a handful of people who can't forget an offense that took place more than 20 years ago. And you know who it's affecting? Not the person who did it, because they've long since moved on. It's robbing the joy and cultivating a seed of bitterness in their own life because they can't get over it. And not even so much that they can't, they choose not to. See, love, when properly exercised, not only forgives, but it doesn't keep front and center what you did. Even Jesus says this. So if Jesus' example is that he's going to set it aside, then what ought we to do? There's one more. It's in the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer, however you want to say it. Matthew chapter 6. Um, verses 9 through 15. It says, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And here's the example he gave to us. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Daily, we are to come to this place where we can forgive others of the offenses that they may have directed to us. It's the example and the command of Jesus Christ. And I know, just as sure as I'm sitting here right now, some of you are saying, well, there's nothing big in my life that I really should deal with or could deal with it. You know, really no one has stolen from me. Um, I don't, you know, no one's taken the life of someone that I love or has been, have been close to. Um, there's no one that's really lying to me or continues to lie to me. Uh, there's nobody who's raped or molested anybody in my family, so that's not really something deal, you know, difficult to deal with. You know, nobody who's repeatedly offended me that I need to offer forgiveness to. Really? Nobody? I think in a congregation, there are always, in the back of our mind, people that we're ticked off at, that we're upset with. Deep inside, we may not talk about it. We may not bring it up often. But it's that one person that when you hear their name, it's like that you're stomach begins to churn and you just want to clench a fist and say I just want to deck them who's that person for you 
Who is it that irritates you that you've not offered forgiveness to? Because they borrowed a tool seven years ago and haven't brought it back yet. I got a bunch of those out there. I don't even know who they are anymore. Books, tools. Who is it? Maybe it's that category that you've stuck it so far in the back of your mind you're hoping nobody says anything that triggers the thought. Just want to sweep it under the carpet and pretend it never happened. But the reality, it did, and it's eaten up space in your brain. Who is it that you need to offer forgiveness for, even though they may never ask for it? Because if you don't do it, very clearly, Jesus won't forgive you. Just biblical principle. You want his forgiveness? You need to offer forgiveness. And just as he forgives you over and over and over again, in the same way he has exercised grace to you, you need to offer grace to others who offend you over and over and over again. And forgive. And have you noticed that some people in trying to apologize, they don't really know how to apologize? It's an I'm sorry, but you. My wife taught me this in our first year of marriage. She goes, no, you, you don't get it. And I looked at my wife and I said, don't get what? It's not an I'm sorry, but. It's I'm sorry, I was wrong. Some of us need to understand that. No buts. It doesn't matter a justification why you did what you did. It doesn't matter what the justification of why whoever offended you did what they did. If it's wrong, confess it. If you're on that end of it, if you're on the receiving end of it, you're forgiven. Who is it that you need to forgive? Who's that one person, that two people, those two persons, those that handful of people that you're irritated with? <coughs> Who is it? You know who they are. God definitely knows who they are. Who is it that you need to go up to them and say, hey, I'm sorry? And whether you ever see them again or not, you say, God, I forgive them. It's done and over. It's buried under the blood. Because if you want a right relationship with God, you have to offer the forgiveness. No shortcuts, no alternatives. You want God's forgiveness, you got to forgive. Well, they raped me. They molested me. Forgive. Because remember in God's big scheme of things, sins don't have degrees. Well, it's a little white lie, so it's a number two on the scale. Murder is a nine. Molestation is a ten. Sin is sin. And all sin breaks the heart of God. And all sin needs to be confessed and forgiven. What is it that you need to do? What is your responsibility in this? Who is it that you need to forgive to be in right standing with God? That's tough. Because I know in the back of some of your minds, standing here right now, there's people in the back of your mind saying, I wonder if I should call so-and-so. I wonder if I should talk to so-and-so. I wonder if I should write him a letter. Can I just say yes? 
deal with it once and for all, be done with it. Regardless of the response, I forgive. I choose to forgive. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity.